This week on The Short Game, we discuss the least marketable game ever sold. Turns out, it's brilliant. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short games, the kind of games that you can probably Happy pick up. Happy birthday and... to Aww. you. Happy oh, birthday you to both of you. Happy Thank birthday you. to both of you guys. <laughs> can I tell you a story? I was realized it was your birthdays because I'm a mediocre friend via Facebook, and I saw... Your Reagan, I saw yours first. I was like, oh, wow, it's Reagan's birthday. That's awesome. And then I scrolled down and was like, oh, wow, it's Shane's birthday. For a moment, <laughs> for, a, for a brief internet-induced moment, I had forgotten that you guys were twins. So Aw. Go on, go on with your intro. Um, you know what I discovered today, thanks to Twitter, is that actually it's also Grover from Sesame Street's birthday. Aww. Oh. Oh. Oh, happy I birthday, didn't think Grover. puppets had birthdays. Well, apparently they do, and it's canon according to Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I love Wikipedia so much. The fact that there's someone out there cataloging, like... The canon of Sesame Street? Yes, <laughs> Sesame Street canon. Right down to their detailed character biographies, including birth dates. Aw. Let's introduce the show. What yes. show is this? Oh my gosh, where am I? It's The Short Game. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by an all-star team. I've got my bro host and real-life twin brother, Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I am uh, aging. Every, every year, one more year is piled on. Yes, they crush us to death eventually, but for now, we're only 29, Shane, so we'll be all right. Uh, I am joined, of course, also by uh, fancy podcaster Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Good to be back. And uh, this week, we are joined once again by game designer and also all-around very smart person, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Uh, no problem. This is... a uh, Great chance for us all to get together and chat, and I don't really know what's up with everybody. What have you guys been up to lately? Well, I have not had that much of a chance to play games because I've been in the progress of both starting a new job and moving this week. But uh, now that I am moved in um, and I have my internet finally set up, which is when you know you're really moved in, uh, I'm happy to report that uh, I've been playing a lot of Wayward Souls, mainly because it's a it's a mobile game. I'm really looking forward to talking about that later on the show. Yeah, we may we may do a, a mini episode on that soon. And more to mm -hmm. more on that later. But yeah, Wayward Souls. Thanks for recommending that to me, Shane. Uh, Shane did a little reconnaissance and rounded up in a previous episode uh, his recommendations for iOS roguelikes, and this has got to be the top one. Really a cool game. Yeah, if you consider it a roguelike, that's for discussion later, I guess. True. Nate, how about you? What's up? Well, I too have been enjoying uh, Wayward Souls, though I only got it a couple days ago, uh, so I am not very deep into the dungeons yet. 
uh, certainly have died a lot. But uh, I've been I've had a lot of time for video games, actually, with a major project being completed. Last we spoke, I was uh, moments away or days away from the LCD sound system set, which was a huge success. So that was uh, one of the most fun things I've I've ever done on stage. And on the music front, I also saw probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen on stage last night. I went to a place called The Luminary. It's on Cherokee Street, kind of one of the art districts of St. Louis. And they hosted a show, uh, two bands, one called Thor Axe. Uh, kind of a, yeah, it, uh, kind of a, um, I think the best way to describe it is... A Norse insect-themed band. <laughs> yeah. Well, their whole, uh, their whole, all their stuff is like kind of punny. Uh, one of those songs is The Beagle Has Landed. Another one is Girthquake, which is really funny. Um, they're kind of a video game uh, video game music meets uh, like 80s cock rock meets, <laughs> uh, meets metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all instrumental, three guitar players. They used to have two bass players. Now they just have one um, and a drummer and a keyboard player. And I knew these guys. Uh, I've known them for a long time, and they, they kind of disbanded. This was their first show in like seven years, and it was phenomenal. Um, but the headlining act, a band that doesn't normally travel outside of Athens, Georgia, but they they kind of commissioned them to come up and headline uh, Thorax's triumphant return, a band called Bit Brigade. And if for those of you that are kind of familiar with the kind of math rock, uh, prog rock kind of world, there's some guys from Cinema Canica in it and Maserati, and so really, really, really talented musicians. And what they did is they set a screen up on stage with a projector hooked up to a TV and had a guy playing Mega Man 2 on this screen mm-hmm. while wow. while below it, you know, because it was the, the screen was lifted pretty high. This band of four people did metal uh, versions of the Mega Man soundtrack. <laughs> and wow. the guy completed the entirety of Mega Man 2, which is a pretty difficult game, in about 40 minutes. Wow. And these guys, so uh, he would, they, they had the theme music, so when it was on character select, they would play the Mega Man theme song. Again, pretty heavy. You know, two lead guitar players, and bass that, and drums. That whole game has amazing music. Uh, oh, yeah. So I can't yeah. imagine. That sounds like a great great opportunity for really cool covers. Oh, man. It was, yeah. And, I mean, they did it true to the music while also being true to, like, shredding, you know, finger tapping. It was <laughs> it, it, it was phenomenal. And they, they made switches as he progressed through the level. Uh, if you've played... Mega Man 2 recently, you know that... Oh, I have. Uh, before each boss, you kind of hit a little kind of tunnel that just kind of acts as kind of a middle in between the, the bulk of the level and the boss fight. They would time it exactly where he would end as he hit the door going into the boss on like a real triumphant <laughs> kind of <laughs> explosion and then count off real quick and go into boss music which oh, was incredibly yes. fast. I mean, these guys, oh it was gosh. so fast. And But what was even more impressive is that the guy who played it, his name was Noah, 
would beat each boss in maybe five seconds. He had the exact pattern that was required. He would switch between the Mega Man suits uh, perfectly, firing rockets, jumping, switching to the proper suit to fire something else. And he died one time, um, and it was during one of the final bosses because there's kind of a series of them. And uh, other than that, he almost never got hit. When he did, when he died the one time, did everybody freak out? Well, it was funny because like it obviously doesn't happen very often, and the musicians they kept going, but they obviously have their progressions as well. So the guitar player and bass player, uh, the both guitars, they kind of stopped. Vamp, vamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They kind of uh, they kind of had to restart, but um, and well, it was well, funny because once he, yeah, once he beat the level, uh, no other guy playing got up and did like a kind of a, a fake like rage quit. It was. Uh, it was really funny, and I mean, they were they were perfect. And I think the times that he did get hit, it was on purpose because you know you could kind of take advantage of the uh, the kind of moment of recovery after getting hit. So everything was perfectly planned. He would jump and fire a like a beam or a, or a shot, and it'd be like, "Why did he shoot that?" And then right as it would near the edge of the screen, like a bird or something would come down and be killed the instant it was on screen. You know, I've seen speedruns before, but uh, not in person, and not with a with a metal band playing below it. Yeah, that's and crazy. And what was amazing about it that's is, I really fantastic. think I think this was kind of like, ev- like, and some level, I think this was every video game player's dream because after each song or each level, everybody's going nuts. People are screaming. Cheer, like chanting his name when he beats the whole thing he like stood up because he was on kind of one of those gamer chairs that like <laughs> you know were yeah. really popular for like two years uh, that are sit on the floor you know so he because he sat low and uh, he got up and the whole crowd which is probably about a hundred some people just are screaming and going nuts and the band is playing and normally when you beat a game you know, you're if you're not by yourself, you might be with someone, and it's like, yeah. My victory lap is usually that I tweet about it. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was impressive on his level to see him do it, to be that consistent, you know, because he has to be able to do it. That sounds super cool. Yeah, uh, the music, it's awesome. So their their name is their name is Bit Brigade. Uh, it was. Uh, to a degree disappointing because they were supposed to do Legend of Zelda where he was going to beat one of the NES Legends of Zelda and um, they were going to do the music for that. But the fifth member of the band broke his collarbone the day before and had to drop out. And apparently they need five people to do Zelda. They can manage Mega Man, which is surprising because Mega Man is incredibly fast. Was it their ocarina player? (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds really cool. Now, I know you like texted me a couple of videos of it. Um, I hope you'll send me whatever videos you have and I'll put them quickly up on on uh, I'll splice them together and throw them up on YouTube. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of a, uh, a clip for folks to check out in the show notes. So if you are uh, if you are intrigued, we'll yeah. try to have some links for you. Well, I did out. just check and I saw that uh, Bit Brigade is on iTunes and they have four albums up. They have an album that's a cover of Mega Man, uh, of Castlevania, what? of Ninja Gaiden, 
and of Contra. So wow. they've got it all, man. That sounds amazing. Okay, I'm going to have to check those guys out on iTunes, and um, we'll try to have links to all that stuff in the show notes. That sounds like an awesome show, Nate. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I was going to throw out that I saw Metroid Metal at PAX a few years ago. You saw M- Metroid Metal? Metroid Metal, which, uh, as you might expect, is metal covers of Metroid music. Um, no live playing, but they really put on an awesome show. It was so loud. I... Um, the second night, the second year they came, I actually was playing board games upstairs and could hear them through the floorboards. That is awesome. These guys also have uh, live DVDs. They're all over YouTube. Uh, I will send you my clips for sure, but I there are certainly better quality ones online as well. Well, um, my week hasn't been nearly as exciting as that. Um, I've just been uh, playing a little bit of Divinity Original Sin with Shane which is fun, but probably not a great topic for the short game because, oh boy, that's not a short game. It's not probably the longest RPG ever, but uh, it's got a steep learning curve and uh, it's definitely a many-hour quest. So uh, that's going to be kind of my long game, uh, you know, albatross around my neck while we play our short games. That's wrong. It's really a great game. It's not an albatross at all. It's super cool. But uh, it's uh, it's definitely a very long game. Well, I'm definitely enjoying it. And I think uh, you and I are going to waste all of our uh, podcasting slash short game playing time playing it soon. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, I, on that uh, similar, um, I've been playing a lot of Destiny, which I've talked a lot about. Uh, I still enjoy it. So don't read the... Uh, don't buy into Reddit's obsession with hating on it. I, I'm. It's a fun game. Cool. So. Glad to hear it's still uh, occupying your uh, your attention. It helps to have friends who play it. I will say that. I'm brushing up on our next show. We're probably for our next episode uh, going to be covering The Walking Dead. We're probably going to do uh, episode one of season one as kind of its own thing uh, because the games are very short. So I've been brushing up on that and playing it a little bit. Uh, and actually, I've been playing a lot of this. Uh, well, actually, speaking of Mega Man 2, I've been playing a lot of NES games over the last little while. I <laughs> have almost beaten Mega Man 2. I have it in my Retron right now. Um, and that game is really hard in the later levels. Like, as you saw, like, there's the initial stages where you beat the Robot Masters. And then after you've beaten all, what is it? Uh, I think it's eight. And then there's the ninth square on the thing is is Dr. Wily. Um, so I've beaten all of the Robot Masters. But the Dr. Wily stages are really hard because you have to like effectively use your powers. And so like you've got, you've gathered all these weapons and you have to use them in a very specific way. And I keep screwing it up. So that's a little hard. I don't know, Reagan. I watched a dude beat it in 40 minutes last night. It can't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's an asshole. And, and he did it while you know. shredding shred. He had earplugs for what it's worth. I bet shredding is fairly motivational. Yeah, he was jacked up. It was actually, awesome. yeah. I should probably try playing it with that going on. It'd probably improve my play a lot. You know, you know. Speaking of, I have had a in my in my new job, I've had a lot of situations where I have really had to concentrate, and I have realized somewhere along the way, someone recommended this, but video game music is fabulous for working too, because it's the best. It's designed for you to concentrate too. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so good. Uh, I actually have been jamming constantly on uh, the Slime Girls album from which we got our uh, our theme for this show. 
such a good album. Oh, um, a plug for them. If you love our theme song, and our theme song is the best theme song It's such ever, a good song. It is intro from the album Vacation Wasteland by the Slime Girls, who graciously granted us permission to use it on the show. Um, they have never released, as far as I know, that album on CD. They've released it as a digital download on Bandcamp, and they have released it as a cassette. Yes, a cassette. And um, that was sold out for a long, long time, and they now have a pre-order up where if you want to own the Slime Girls Vacation Wasteland EP on cassette, you can pre-order it now for 10 bucks. And I have done so, and strongly encourage you all to do so. Even if you have no way to play a cassette, it's just a cool, weird thing, and it's an amazing album of great sort of chiptune surf rock. It's super good. Yeah, I kind of feel like if you have, if you have still have a cassette deck in your car uh, which I no longer do but if your car stereo still has a cassette deck in it um, what else are you doing with that cassette deck you should probably put this cassette in there and just leave it in there till you sell the car it's got to be the world's coolest cassette it will raise the value of the car when you resell it. Probably. I've got a cassette deck in my car for sure. I will do that. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, do you want to know what I listen to when I really need to focus? There is a YouTube video where they took the theme song to Mortal Kombat and looped it for 10 hours straight. <laughs> and whenever I, whenever I really need to like buckle down and get something going, I just, I just listen to Mortal Kombat. And Reagan, if you know what you're doing, you would very like you would bring that Mortal Kombat theme song into the podcast right now. you really don't want to get anything done you should listen to the sound of William <laughs> Shatner yelling con strung out over a 16 hour period oh man I love those YouTube has a lot of little things like that my favorite was a YouTube video where somebody had done like a 10 hour loop of the sound of the engines of the enterprise idling uh, or you know the kind of undertone that you would hear in all the Star Trek episodes and it would go on and on and on and the intent was you could you know, rock yourself off to sleep with the sounds of the uh, That's, of the warp drive yeah. humming. Works. Good stuff. So, do we want to talk a little bit about the topic of our show today, which is actually I don't even know if we mentioned yet. I thought it was we we were talking about our birthday. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> So we lured you all here to talk about Little Inferno, but actually you're just here to, to sing us happy birthday a few more times. No, it's the other way around. They came to tell us happy birthday, but we're going to switch it up and tell you guys about an amazing video game that really, I think, doesn't make any sense to me. It, it <laughs> I, defies description, and yet it is something that I cannot wait to talk about. My favorite description is... An incineration simulation plus. <laughs> yes, plus. Plus the kind of, is the part that defies description. Um, when it's just a simulation of beautifully setting things on fire, um, you have to add a lot of extra descriptors like 
Hilarious, confounding, profound? <laughs> Question I mark? think my favorite description of this game that I've seen so far was from a Destructoid uh, review. And it said, Little Inferno is one of the least marketable games ever released. Absolutely true. So um, for those of you who may not have had a chance to experience Little Inferno yet, we will be doing our spoiler break early and fast today because this is a game that bears a lot of talking about, but the joy of this game is in its strangeness, and uh, I strongly encourage you to play the game before listening in. If you've truly decided you will never play this game, um, then okay, you can listen past the spoiler break, but our spoiler break will uh, will be early and will be a firm line. Um, to kind of describe the game for folks. I would like, I'd like Laura to do that. This was Laura's recommendation. Yes, this was totally Laura's recommendation. And actually, first off, I would like to thank you, Laura, because this was a game that I picked up in a Humble Bundle ages ago. And because it is such a completely unexplainable, weird game, I never played it because I couldn't be bothered to play something that was literally, like, beyond my ability to understand based on the blurb in the Steam game description. I looked at it and I thought, that I don't know what that is, and so I moved on to the next thing. Um, but you recommended that we try it out, and I'm really appreciative of that. Laura, would you tell us a little bit about how, how would you pitch this game in a little more detail to somebody who doesn't know anything about it? Sure, well, at the very heart of the game mechanic, um, it's very simple. You have a fireplace, you can buy things, and you can burn things. Um, the fun in the game and one of the selling points if someone is just interested in the toy aspect of the game is that the things you buy are often hilarious and when you set them on fire more hilarity ensues. You can also burn things in tandem for combos. Um, Along the way you unlock more mysteries about the world. Um, The fireplace is owned by the Tomorrow Corporation. Um, You start getting some mysterious letters Um, and you unlock more and more catalogs. So if you're looking to try to pitch the game, I almost always go on the hilarity front. I mention one or two of the toys, what makes them so funny, and kind of let people explore the deeper aspects of the game for themselves. And it is a game that rewards people playing it for extended periods of time, but I think the sell for the game the, the way you get someone hooked is the quick turnaround of you buy something, you burn it, you get the joke, you move on. The game starts turning that against you as you keep playing. Yeah, definitely. I think you're, you're right. Like the mechanic of it is, the, it is simple. It is the humor that really sucks you in. But I don't want to turn away from the mechanic, which is just so satisfying. I love to burn things. So satisfying to burn things. Yeah. So this game initially was a launch title for the Wii U. And it's really? A game I didn't that, know that. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was a launch title for the Wii U, and it uh, it plays on the gamepad uh, for the Wii U. And it's also out for PC, where I think is where all of us played it. Um, but it's also out on the iPad, and I think it may even have an iPhone version and Android as well. Um, but the game is uh, it's incredibly simple in its gameplay, and the the mechanic of burning things is really beautifully presented so you order uh, an object from a catalog it's got a amusing description after a few moments usually just a few seconds but sometimes as long as a couple of minutes for things to be delivered to you you have this object and you can look at it but you can't really do anything with it apart from burn it so there you go you pop, pop it into your little inferno entertainment fireplace and then you light it on fire and the fire is beautiful. This is actually a really, really well implement, implemented uh, fire. Absolutely gorgeous. I, I definitely found the the burning of the objects incredibly satisfying. Uh, I, I found it funny for sure, uh, but I, I do think what what drove me forward in the game, uh, first of all, you know, we kind of move past the combos. The combos are what move the game forward in order to unlock more books one of the things you do have to accomplish is figuring out the combo so i don't know if puzzle is the right word but it's something like that it's almost kind of like a humorous interpretation puzzle yeah um but i did find what actually drew me in and what made the game a complete game to me and what made me really enjoy it the most was this sort of storyline that evolves which i know we're saving after the spoiler break but i i don't really think it's much of a spoiler to say that the game is much darker than it lets on when you start. And I, I really, really appreciated that. And it added yeah. a lot of depth to the game that made it so much more than just see funny thing, burn funny thing and laugh at funny burning thing. <laughs> Though that was, that was a, a, a core component of it. The fact that you also had this darker element, this more mystery and confusion and, uh, these all together made it a really, really interesting game. I think it's also worth talking about the art style of the game, which uh, for me I, really reminded me of um, Honan Vasquez, the the guy that did Invader Zim and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those things back in the day. Yeah, and on that same note, I got a huge feel, mm-hmm. and I might be alone on this, but yeah, I thought of Ren and Stimpy and the commercials in the yeah, middle definitely. of Ren and Stimpy episodes, uh, like for Powdered, to- powdered Toast Man, Log, <laughs> yes, things log. like that. I-, I thought of it. There's The music of the game reminded me of that. Ironically, the one thing you did not burn in your fireplace was a log. <laughs> yeah, I guess yes. that's true. I also thought of Iron Giant, actually, just because of the 50s kind of dystopian aspect. They make a lot of fun of communism in that um, that movie. And this seemed to be doing the opposite for capitalism in some ways, or consumerism, at least. Definitely. It's definitely a game where, I mean, thematically, it's all about consumerism and about that the application of consumerism to, to video games. And... Um, I don't know how much we want to talk about the themes of the game in relation to the plot, but that was one of the things that was most interesting to me. The themes are really interesting, and that's probably what we'll go into a little later. But first, I want to take this moment to directly address the listener. If you are listening to this show, and then you're and you're anything like I was 
you've heard what we've just told you about the game, about its visual style, about its game mechanics, and you're hearing, this doesn't sound like it's for me. Because, so here, when I, when I heard about this game, I immediately picked up on, okay, here are the game mechanics that I've just heard. This, this is a game mechanic that includes timers. You know, you get, you order thing, you wait for thing to arrive, thing arrives. It's a game that involves what is a sort of microtransactions. You know, you buy things out of a catalog, they arrive, then they are disposable. It, it has a sort of in-app purchases and digital goods, not with actual money, but you're buying digital goods with digital currency for tiny transactions of money. Clicking on objects, immediately destroying objects. <laughs> Clicking on more objects. Clicking on objects. Mm -hmm. it, it has the feel, and when I describe it, when we all describe it, it sounds like a Facebook game. You know, when you describe this game and its mechanics, it sounds like a extremely casual Facebook game. And it is without a doubt a casual game. Oh yes, it is. And I do not use the word casual with any rancor at all. This is a casual mm -hmm. game. Um, and that's a, in, in many ways a very, very good thing. I think this game is going to appeal to an incredibly broad set of people, but then it takes that and it turns it on its head a little bit and does something really interesting. And without spoiling anything, I think the only way to kind of describe why this game is interesting is to not talk about this game and to talk a little bit about um, another another game that I think kind of takes the uh, takes that sort of Facebook gaminess and the casual game interactions and kind of turns them on their head for a reason, uh, and that would be uh, Cow Clicker. Have you guys heard the story of Cow Clicker? I have a little please. bit. Yeah, I, I would love to have it recounted again. Recow ten. But uh, what? <laughs> Stop hey, that! Man, you oh. gotta take them when you can get them. Okay. That was terrible. But that uh, was wonderful. No, I love puns. Yeah, that was an utter success. Oh. Uh oh, Jesus! Oh God, guys! Oh. I know it's a little cheesy, isn't it? Right <laughs> <now>? <laughs> He's really milking this one. Oh, God. These are some oh, legendarily bad puns. Reagan's oh, gonna have some beef with you guys. God. <laughs> okay, you're all off the podcast. <laughs> have fun editing this, Reagan. <laughs> you guys are horrible. Uh, all right, all right. Don't have a cow, man. He's gonna have to cut the whole steam. Uh, all right, does okay. it? Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm beating so, a dead horse. Yes, you are beating a dead horse. So, um, cow clicker. Uh, is a parody of Facebook games. But to give you a kind of a context, so a lot of Facebook games, the tip of the iceberg here is something like Farmville, but there are zillions of these, are essentially games in which you log in, you click on stuff to reset timers, and then you wait. And a, a little while later, you log back in and you click on some more stuff. Maybe that's you're clicking on your crops to harvest and then plant them again. And then you have to wait another four hours and you have to log in and click on the crops to harvest and plant them again. But if you want to not wait th those four hours, you can do something. Pay a microtransaction, pester your friends, that kind of thing. So there's a, uh, so a developer whose name escapes me created a game on Facebook uh, when Facebook's uh, you know, platform for creating games is fairly new called Cow Clicker. It's a very simple game. You literally log in, you have a cow, you can click on it. His name was Ian Boxed. Yes, thank you. And um, that's pretty much the entirety of the game. It's a game in which you click on cows and you gain points by clicking on the cows. And I think you can like buy better cows or something. <laughs> I don't know. You can not buy better cows, but you can buy different cows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
a wide varietal of cows. Yes, you can spend your Mooney on cows. And he made this game specifically as a parody and sort of indictment of the non-gaminess of Facebook games, how bad they are, how limited their interactions are, how exploitative they are of the compulsive aspects of player care, uh, player behavior. It, it is a bad game, and it is a bad game by design. But it became extremely popular on Facebook to the point where he was able to quit his job and live off of Cow Clicker, a game in which all you do is click on cows. Um, a fascinating kind of picture of like, you know, it, it's a parody, but it's also doing the thing that it parodies. It's, I thought it was fascinating. And reading that story, I really connected it with this game because yes, this game employs all of the mechanics of games that essentially just manipulate you into staring at a screen endlessly without, you know, giving you anything. But that's the point with this game. This is a game that parodies and subverts that and just does really interesting things within that paradigm. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, why on earth would I want to play a game where all I do is click on stuff and watch it burn? That's the point. And stick with us and definitely play the game. I would beg you, actually, that if you've never bothered to play a freemium game or something with microtransactions, this game is a way to feel good about exploring those mechanics. You, If you've never want to you know, build a tiny tower or you know, look at Candy Crush and you just look down on all these people, once you start playing this game, you'll see why those are addictive and you'll get to do it in a safe indie way. Yes. So, and in a way that won't ask you for money every 15 minutes because you do buy this game for about I think it's either 10 or 15 bucks. Yeah, it's like 10 bucks on Steam right now. Yes, it and It's $5 on iPad. What? Really? Awesome. Yeah. I actually oh, that'd be the way to do it's it. It's very very appealing to you cuz you get to touch all the objects and play with them that way. So, if you And are, you actually feel the heat on your fingers. <laughs> yes, it actually burns up your iPad. That's the only downside. Mm-hmm. Really uh, hard on your battery life. <laughs> One thing with this game, too, is everything that you burn actually gives you more money than it costs. So it, while there's a ton of microtransactions, you're not really doing anything to like you always have enough. You pretty much always have enough money to do it with it whatever you want you just have to make the right choices on what you're burning yeah and the game will it's not a very tight economy in the game you know it's very hard to end up broke in little inferno i'm not even sure it's possible yeah i never had the only time money ever became an issue was near the end game there is no fail state that's a good way of putting it that's exactly right there is no fail state um it's a game that you know it doesn't feel like it's holding your hand but it it's not going to let you get frustrated it's a game that's always moving and always changing yeah some of the some of the combos can be quite uh, difficult to figure out and i thought that was one of the more fun things of the game too was actually solving the the puzzles none of them are are incredibly you know complicated but they certainly can kind of play with you a little bit some of them will be referring to the things that you're burning the way they look or maybe words in the description um Let's give a couple of examples, because I think at the moment it's getting a little, uh, it might be a little hard for our listeners to kind of visualize what we're talking about here. No one name anything above 25? Oh, yeah. Like, let's stick to the first catalog or so. All right. So one of my favorite uh, ones in the first ones 
was that took me a while, surprisingly, was the one that said seafarers, and it was the pirate and the oil barge. And I don't know why, but it just took me a long time to figure out that that would be... What it tells you when you're trying for these combos is it tells you the name of the combo, seafarers. And you've got this catalog, which at that point has something like 16 or 17 items in it. And you've got everything from a little wooden bicycle to someone else's credit card to a uh, corn on the cob to a Tyrannosaurus plushie etc 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 and you are just tossing junk into the fire item by item and that continues to get you more and more gold and, and eventually you'll unlock basically all of the um basically you'll you'll unlock all of the items if you even if you don't start doing the combos uh but you start throwing things in together piling more and more into the fireplace and eventually just by sheer luck, you're going to start hitting some of these combos. And the combos give you tickets that let you speed up the delivery of these items. Because you just want to burn more and more. And it really just sort of... It's... it's it, it, If I may be a little bit uh, crude, the game is kind of cock-blocking your, your instinct to just <laughs> pile more and more shit into this fireplace. It asks you to be thoughtful. And I think my favorite in the early stages is... It, when it starts getting hinting that there'll be wordplay, there's one called Generations Combo. Um, and in that first page, there is a portrait of a family and there is a spider egg bundle. Generations. Calling on both definitions of that. Yeah, that one actually took me a while. And the description of the spider egg says, a whole generation in the palm of your hand. It's one of the first ones that make you think about it. So you have to really notice details in order to kind of get what the the combos are going to be. Um, and sometimes the combo's name relates specifically to what the items are, but other times it relates kind of more tangentially. Uh, like in the case of the spider egg thing, it only says anything about generations in the description of the item, not in the item's name. Or in even later ones, sometimes it doesn't even really relate to the description of the item, but more to something that happens when you burn the item. Uh, some of the items just straight up burn, but a lot of the items do something interesting when you burn them, whether they make a particular noise or they give off a different colored flame or they explode. They shoot off fireworks. Or they, you know, play with the physics of the things that are floating around in your fireplace. Everything that you burn. Or they shriek. Oh, yeah. yeah ooh. So, a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot of them yeah. you feel kind of bad for burning. Like the and little bear. Burn, oh, I felt horrible every time I burned the bear. Are you kidding? I burned like those... a million of those bears. <laughs> I, I also, I do want to talk about the tickets real oh, quick yeah. because it took me a while to to really figure out why they were there. And I, and I, I honestly didn't consider the um, like microtransaction stuff as, as much as you guys did. Um, but I do think also it's a gameplay mechanic because the game is pretty forgiving. If you've burned the two things... Uh, the fire can almost be done on one of the things and you throw another one on there and if it completes the combo, it'll complete it. You don't necessarily have to have burned the, both of them to completion at the same time. And without these cooldowns, without the delivery time, I think you could you could theoretically just like essentially get a fire of every single item going at the same time. And so with this uh, with these cooldowns, unless you're using tickets all the time, it requires you to think about it and actually make 
attempts at completing the combos rather than just burning as much as you can at the same time trying to randomly get them. Uh, that was my strategy throughout the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did it. I did it, too. And I got some lucky for sure where <laughs> you, I would burn because to unlock the whole catalog, you burn. Uh, you start out with five things and you burn the first thing, it unlocks the sixth thing. So you work your way through the catalog. And I would definitely buy like the first five things and burn them all together to unlock the next five things. And I definitely got some combos on luck by that for sure. But you do, you know, you, you look at the combo list, look at the catalog and try to make your best guess. And sometimes it would be a combo that I know is two things and I would burn four things together thinking it's got to be two of these things. And sometimes get it, sometimes not. Can we fire off the spoiler horn or, or break? We don't do a horn. That's the incomparable. Sorry, incomparable. <laughs> Thanks for stealing your uh, your thing, incomparable. Yes. Hats off to you, Jason. Yes, indeed. Uh, and best of luck in your future endeavors uh, now that you are no longer with Macworld. We say to him as if he was listening to our show and knew who we, who we are. But um, yep. big fans, Jason Snell. Before we go to spoiler break, um, mm-hmm. do you guys want to share how long it took you to complete the game? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it took me almost exactly two hours. Um, and my wife also played. So this was actually a really interesting thing about the game for me. Um, uh, Jamie and I don't really play games together. We have kind of different tastes in games. Um, she likes what I would describe, again, without any rancor, as casual games. And her favorite series of games uh, is the Cooking Mama series. Basically, any game that involves um, timers and food, she will enjoy. So she likes the types of games where you cook food and there's timers and you know, Diner Dash, that kind of stuff. She loves those types of games. I've never been completely sure why. She's also tremendous at the non-simulation version of that. Uh, She's a fabulous cook. It's true. It's kind of strange to me. You know, I don't play, um, you know, desk sitting simulators, but she's great at cooking and also loves cooking games. So I guess more power to her. I think, Reagan, you'd be good at podcasting, Papa. (laughs) That would be an interesting game. We should work on that. But uh, I showed her this game and she immediately thought it was interesting enough to sit down and play it with me, uh, you know, sitting together, kind of discussing the combos and everything for a couple of hours. And then um, we had probably completed most of it by the time we went to bed. And she actually got up very early the next morning to finish the game so that she could play it before uh, she had to go to work and and, and beat the game before I did, uh, which is really unusual. So I think this game has really broad appeal in that way. Um, anyway, the long story short of it is that uh, I've beaten the game once through and she's beaten the game once through and we also played it a little through together. And I think each time we played it, it was between two and three hours. Well, can you uh, I don't want to have you put words in her mouth, but can you tell me what she liked about the game? I think she really just liked the combos aspect of it. Um, she actually told me that she wasn't a huge fan of the ending um, and that she felt like it was too much of a departure, which we will do discussing uh, in a little bit. But um, she was a she was a big fan of just the mechanic, the combos. And I can see why, because in a sense, it kind of does relate back to that sort of very mechanical, um, timer-based and very simple quick interaction kind of gameplay that you have in a game like cooking mama, which we have every cooking mama game essentially. And, um, they're really fun, but they're not the kind of thing that really gets me excited. Yeah. Molly and I actually played this game together and we played, um, 
I'd say the majority of the game that I played, it was with her there. And she enjoys all sorts of games. She's actually in the other room right now playing uh, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, uh, with her brother. Uh, it just launched today. So they both took a half day from work and have been playing for about eight hours straight now. Wow. Which is impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it took it took with her and then the time I spent myself uh, about, yeah, three hours, maybe three to four hours. I didn't get all the combos. But I've had a lot of games going, so once I completed the main story and felt fulfilled with the combos, I didn't do I didn't hundred percent it. Same here. I think I hit ninety five of the one hundred possible combos. I was I have most of them done. I actually was picking up on an older game since I had I'd beaten the game prior to recommending it to you guys. Um, on the iPad, when you beat it, you can go um, you can continue playing it. I, I'll talk you can talk about it a little more, but um, so the timer on mine is about five hours of, you know, a couple hours this week of reminding myself of all the combos. And, and there's actually hidden Easter eggs if you really spend too much time on the games, <laughs> which yep. I can talk about in the spoilers. But I was actually surprised that I was still unlocking stuff after I got all the combos. Wow, I may not have hit any of that. I don't know. I, I don't think I did, or at least not. I didn't notice any of them. Before we move into the spoilers, I... You know, I think it's not a total spoiler to at least discuss the basic level of the story before going into the mechanics of it or the the finer points of it. And if you guys disagree, I mean, you can tell me. But just mentioning that there is somebody living next door who's also burning things uh, in your interactions with that person is what moves the game forward. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting part. Yeah, and from the descriptions that you'll see of the game, it's not obvious that this is a game that has a story and um, has a point. I mean, there's there's a point to this game. It's a game with an opinion, and it's a game with uh, uh, with a theme. And that's what we're going to be talking about mostly after the spoiler break because it's uh, it's inseparable, you know, from the the you know moments of the of the later plot. So it's a game that yeah, it's. It's, it's easy to look at this game and, and totally overlook the fact, if you're just trying to get a sense of it, that it is even a game with a story. So, yes, it has a story, um, and it has a plot. It has a point to it. Um, it's a really interesting point to it. If you're interested in games as as art, games as culture, yeah. I think it's, a, it's a, something that you can't afford to miss. Which is kind of the point of this show, so if not... Just unsubscribe now. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Yeah, because because we said I said it at the beginning, but I I really the the story and it, how the how dark this game can be while it being so goofy and fun is what really moved it forward for me and moved this game from an interesting kind of silly concept to a complete game. And I'm excited to hear what you guys thought about it. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, your spoiler break. I'm a really good drummer, guys. Yeah. You don't know it, but I, I play that spoiler break for every show. I listen to it. <laughs> All right, so guys, spoiler number one, bike pirate. You burn the bike and the pirate. Spoiler number <laughs> two, someone else's. You burn someone else's yeah. credit card and someone I'm, else's family. I'm portrait. glad that you... Stop! You broke Stop. that story. That was, that's the hardest part of this game. Bike Pirate took me forever to get. Oh, yeah. yeah. God. I would never have known. 
<laughs> so um, what I think might be a good way for us to kind of uh, kind of address this would be to talk about the story of the game kind of beat by beat, you know, bit by bit, and talk about uh, what's actually happening as you're staring into your fireplace burning things. Um, so to kind of backtrack a little bit to the beginning of the game, you receive your fireplace, the Little Inferno Entertainment Fireplace by Tomorrow Corporation. And actually, I think it's a very interesting choice that they decided that the company that makes the fireplace, the Little Inferno Entertainment Fireplace, in the context of the game, is the Tomorrow Corporation, because the developers are also called the Tomorrow Corporation. Um, that's the their game company name. They're the same folks that made... Uh, uh, the World of Goo, which is a great game. Fabulous. Yes, World of Goo. And in a weird sense, has a little bit in common with it. There's some World of Goo um, references in this game, and the art style has some slight similarities, I guess, similar eyes and stuff. World of Goo is also a great game if you just like interesting physics puzzles. So with the beginning of the game, you receive your fireplace, and you receive some instructions about it, which you promptly burn without reading them. You know, you don't take your time looking at those, but you also get a letter from Miss Nancy, who is, I suppose, the CEO, sort of, of the Tomorrow Corporation? I guess so. Yeah, the, I, I kind of thought of her as a um, a mom from Futurama type type person. Oh, yeah. I didn't make that connection, but you're right. She's an older like lady with weird hair who uh, gives you a coupon for a free hug and uh, some you know words of encouragement. Uh, getting started with your Little Inferno Entertainment Fireplace. And I think the name of that is also kind of telling because, you know, it's not just your fireplace or, you know, your Little Inferno Fireplace. It's clearly riffing a little bit on your you know, on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Little Inferno Entertainment Fireplace. Um, and so its goal is not just to keep you warm, but it's kind of riffing on video game culture and it being a entertainment device for your home. Um, the perspective of the game, you're only ever looking into the fireplace in, in, you know, most of the game. So your perspective is very limited. You can only see this fireplace and it kind of plays on that a little bit. You know, your mail arrives and you can't look away from the fireplace. Your, you know, you throw things into the fireplace, uh, you order things from the catalog. You cannot look away from the fireplace. You are staring into it ad nauseum. Um, and of course then after a few rounds with the catalog, uh, you know, experimentally burning things, you start receiving letters. From our good friend, Sugar Plumps. <laughs> what a name. I know. And as you keep playing, you get, I don't remember when exactly you unlock the delightful, campy commercial. It's after, I think, catalog two or three, but yeah. Yeah, you get more and more little hints of this outside world, and you find out that you're this child left alone in this dead of winter dystopia and there you know a guy named the weatherman is asking you to keep burning things to stay warm because it's cold outside and this manic girl next door keeps sending you handwritten letters that ask for you to send her things and she sends you gifts in return little yeah little letters that you can then burn and you get this sense of unease as you're burning things. And all of the objects yeah. you burn sort of hint at a wider world outside the game as well. So little creepy stuff like, for example, there's a little bus that you can burn that explodes and all the children inside scream as they burn. Um, there's kind of unnerving hints that you have a family. So, for example, in the first catalog, there's uh, 
a picture that's called someone else's family portrait or something like that. And, uh, and the, the flavor text describing it says that they all look strangely familiar and they look more familiar the longer you look. Uh, so there's this weird sense in the game that you're someone who has lost their place, you know, that you're, uh, you're living in a strange dystopia, maybe even, maybe even something almost surreal or, or even in your own mind. Um, it's got a, a sense that you're trapped there. Yeah. And the, the thing that came to me first was that when it became apparent that I was not the only one who was sitting there staring into his or her fireplace, burning all of his or her belongings, uh, and that everyone around me and that there was an, it was doing it. And there was an industry devoted to providing me things to burn in my fireplace. Meanwhile, outside, like it's a permanent night and like snow seems to be falling everywhere. And like, I was like, what, what is this? Is this like an, you know, ecological disaster fueled <laughs> by, uh, you know, smog from toy fireplaces. What's and, going and that's on one here? possible explanation. That's one possible interpretation of it. I don't think that's a deep enough dive on, on what this game is actually about, but that's probably the first thing that you can see about the game is that maybe it's, you know, it's a weird global warming thing or, um, yeah. And so you're in this world where it never stops snowing. So I'd like to take a second and now play the, we just referenced the, the song of Little Inferno. This is about a third of the way into the game. Uh, you get this commercial for the Little Inferno, uh, entertainment fireplace that's played for you. And it's deeply weird and kind of distressing. Um, and it starts off as a kind of just cutesy commercial and it gets stranger and weirder as it goes and i'm going to go ahead and play the song for you now in the podcast feed Out of your chimney, way up in the sky, it's been snowing for years, and we just don't know why. Our world is getting colder, but there's no need for alarm. Just sit by your fire, burn all of your toys, and stay warm. this commercial and the first half of it while weird is you know at least kind of makes sense in the game world but then it gets darker and darker and uh, what the listeners won't have heard from that although if you've played the game you're familiar um, is that towards the final part of the song you may have heard some screaming there's some kind of distressing imagery with a, a child with no eyes burning alive and uh, a bunch of you know toys and memories being heaped into the fireplace and eventually all of the children that appear in it kind of go up in flames or explode. So what did you guys think 
once we when you were first playing it and you got to that moment in the game and you were you're seeing that song, well i mean it, it just changes it? the whole your whole feeling for why you're burning things you still don't know exactly why you know you're you're keeping warm uh you definitely have gathered that uh you you now feel that you're probably a child um who's burning things i mean that was kind of apparent with all the toys but still now you know you're most likely a child uh, you know that the wor- there's actually a world going on. When it starts, it, it really seems like it could just be a game standing in front of a fireplace burning things. Now you know that it's much deeper than that. Um, it seemed sad. Um, and also it asks you, there's questions like, if I'm in front of this fireplace, where am I getting these things? If if everybody's just sitting in their house burning stuff, how are they getting all of this stuff to burn? And the question of it's been snowing for years and we just don't know why. So why? And so it raises many more questions than it answers. I think one of the first things I when I saw that, I actually thought of um, almost animal farm opiate of the masses type thing of, oh, God, it's suggesting that all of these you know, much hated, much maligned um, mechanics are just keeping us entertained while we're not paying attention to what's going on outside. Mm-hmm. Um, in this game, they make it very explicit that the character that we're playing is so busy burning things from the catalog that they don't go investigate the wider mysteries. We have to settle for these little drips and drabs that just come to him because it's more fun to burn things. Oh, yeah, Definitely. I mean, it's it's made clear that he doesn't even turn a, around and turn away from the fireplace to look around the room. And we never bother to look outside. And later letters from Sugar Plumps even make it clear that, like, it comments on the fact that the characters can't look away from the fireplace, even if they would somehow want to. They just can't. Um, so you re- you continue to receive these letters from sugar plumps in which she just sort of comments on her situation and talks about how much fun she has burning things in the fireplace um and she eventually she starts requesting objects from you which she does a few times and if you send them off to her then you know you can progress in the story mm-hmm. and oh, but um, also she sends you little rewards that are unique items and and that was kind of one of the things that made me question a little bit about the game too was that She's sending you, you're receiving these things in the mail. Like I I think one of them was the hug coupon and uh, I can't remember what some of the others were, but uh, they're items that you can't get in any other way. You'll only see them once and you kind of want to hang on to those items because they're a signifier of your progress in the game, but you only have so much space. You have very little space in your, in your inventory bar. So eventually you throw all that into the fire too. Yeah. Which I, I saved a few of those for a while, but after a while, you're just like, nope, eh, got to throw it into the fire. And in a, in a sense, that actually feels really strange. You know, these are the objects that an, another character gave you. It's not just some crap you ordered out of a catalog and then you have to burn it or you don't really have to. It's not like the um, it's not like the companion cube in Portal. It really is you gen, you genuinely can keep it, but you probably don't. Because you have limited space. In fact, it asks you at the end, I think, in one of the final scenes, like when you meet... Uh, uh, Which we'll talk uh, about afterwards when we get yeah. to it. But yeah, like you... you it, like, I didn't have some, the hug coupon at the end of the game. I certainly didn't either. I had burned it long ago. I did. 
No, uh, you get you you get a fair amount of these little items, and they are all kind. Of, I think she also sends you a little heart, uh, just little like things of a, affection that in a lot of games you would you'd put it in your backpack or whatever you know game you're playing, and you would hold on to it forever, even though you know you're never going to use it again. In this game. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who didn't burn those things. Laura, did you say that you did still have the hug coupon at the end of the game? What? I did still have the hug coupon. <laughs> there goes my entire... <laughs> I had burned most of the other things, but I I had burned most of them because I, well, most of the things that she sent, I burned because I thought something really cool would happen if I burned them. And then the hug coupon, I, I think I thought, well... I don't think this will burn into anything interesting. So I held on to it. Like it was just one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to hold on to some of these. This one doesn't seem entertaining if I burn it. So it was completely accidental. Um, That's really neat though. So um, as the game continues, Sugar Plumps finally kind of tells you that she's been staring into the fire so long that, I mean, I'm not sure how to characterize that, but long story short, uh, Sugar Plumps, in a very sort of distressing scene, if you can call it a scene, because she's sort of sending you letters um, as she sort of kind of communicates with you through your shared wall, uh, finally kind of lights her whole house on fire. And herself with it. It seems almost sort of willingly gives herself to the flames in a really kind of distressing and and wall-shaking moment where you really kind of feel like the house is coming down around you, and in fact it is around your neighbor, Sugar Plums. That was a a big turn in the game for me because suddenly this character that was really the only uh, driver of the story of the game is suddenly burning herself alive. Seemingly intentionally. That, I think, was like kind of a commentary on on the social interaction portion of these sort of social quote unquote social games, uh, like where you're incentivized to kind of rope other people into the game and interact with them on this very basic level. But will you, will you step away? Would you ever step away from, from something and help a person like that? Or would you, uh, is it a real social interaction or is it just a transaction? Yeah. And that's interesting because I, as we play the game, I think essentially everything about the game is in some way a commentary on uh, these types of mechanics in... Now, I, I think a, a, I think it's more than just a commentary on freemium games. It's much more than just that. But I think everything about its interactions, like everything about its uh, mechanics is kind of commenting on that. And that's a an um, angle to it that I hadn't seen before, Shane. I think that's interesting. You're right. In a sense, Sugar Plums kind of does represent, you know, that person on Facebook who you don't maybe talk to in real life, but who you have give you virtual shovels or whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe you you went to high school with this person. You haven't seen them in 10 years, but you, you are both swapping uh, golden shovels. In so um, I, I want to say while we've been discussing this, I've also been going online and and trying to read, find more articles about this game. And I, I did find one uh, from an interview with one of the developers. And they mentioned these topics about freemium and, and global warming and say that's part of it. They also said, and this is one that we haven't hit on yet, that I thought it makes a lot of sense, is that 
Little Inferno was about not burning away the time you had. Um, and I think part of that too is, is this girl just spending her whole time really obsessively burning things up, just doing the same thing over and over and eventually, you know, burns her house down doing the same repetitive motion over and over and over. Oh, that, that actually really reminds me of, of something that was in that destructoid article that I read that said, uh, uh, it says, you know, it's a game about sitting in front of a fireplace, putting things in and burning them. And that's it. And that the average person hears that and thinks, you know, that's not worth my time or money. I want to go places and do things, but do you really? Yeah. Yeah. It says it was more about getting out of a job you hated or a bad relationship or anything like that. In little Inferno, everyone's stuck doing the same thing over and over. I think Wired wrote an article saying um, something along the lines of Little Inferno mocks or makes fun of the people who love it the most. That the people who really bothered 100% this game are the ones that the game is actively subverting. In a way, yeah. (laughs) Oh, good. So I won. (laughs) So the game really does kind of... it, it, It almost reaches the level of like, turn on the FaceTime camera on your computer and look at this person who is staring at a screen and wasting their life. It's a game about what are you doing when you're playing a game? Are you doing something valuable with your time or are you throwing your time into the fireplace and watching it burn? And that's a really kind of subversive message for a game to have. I don't like to think about that. I I like playing video games too much. (laughs) I love video games too, but it makes you think. We have talked already about a game that had a similar theme, and I have not thought about this until just now, and that's the Stanley Parable. Oh yeah, and I actually kind of thought a little bit about the Stanley Parable while I was playing this. Even though they're they're very different, they, they really do comment on the nature of what is a video game, and why do we play them? I, I do find it a little comforting that um, it seemed like most of us at least shared some of the experience with someone else. You know, We are right now, of course, but I played with Justin. It sounds like you guys also uh, grabbed significant others to play it with. Um, this game, I think, is better shared, even though it's spoiler or they don't want anyone to talk about it. I really think that the the jokes are funnier if you can you know, share that with someone else. The weird plot line, the, the off parts are more interesting when you can discuss them. Yeah, and I had a lot of fun just sort of going over the, even just the bare mechanics of the game, going over the uh, uh, the combos and discussing them with Jamie and saying, oh, what do you think the, you know, piracy combo is, you know, and really thinking about it and talking about it and going through the list of, oh, what, I think it's that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. That kind of thing. That was great fun. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's move ahead a little bit with the story, I guess, because the, the sugar plumps burns herself down, what, halfway through? It happens maybe three quarters, but I mean, maybe three quarters felt like relatively quickly maybe around book five four or five of seven so um Mm -hmm. after that you're kind of alone for a little bit burning things by yourself again you're getting reports from the weatherman that it's still snowing and a very somber message that he had seen another house explode so this is sugar plumps is not the first to uh, blow up her house 
using the little Inferno Entertainment Center. And eventually, uh, you know, you continue through the game burning things, and you do get a couple of letters that seem kind of strangely seem to be from Sugar Plums's ghost or something. You know, you get some letters that, that feature a face that you haven't seen before that tells the player um, eventually to burn uh, four significant items, four items that are more, uh, that are different, that are more important than the other items. And it seems that this message is somehow coming from Sugar Plumps beyond the grave. And so uh, not to not to do a solution spoiler, but long story short, um, to continue, you have to burn four items together, the four items that you sent to Sugar Plumps in the process of the game. Can I just throw out there, I didn't think that Sugar Plumps died, and maybe I was mistaken about this, but I, I got the impression that she, she launched into outer space. And Am in I a wrong? sense, I think that she kind of did, because like she, you know, there's there's evidence of that later in the game. You know, we, we do encounter Sugar Plumps again, but everything that I saw in the game at the time, I was sure that huh. Sugar Plumps okay, had burned I, to death. I didn't get that impression, sorry. I thought at the least she threw herself into the fire and perhaps something happened to her transformational. Yeah, I did fire, not get lost yeah. in outer space at all. Though, I mean, they do talk... They don't talk about. They do talk about yeah, the. She flumes, definitely burned like the, the smoke. Yeah, like she'd risen up. She'd risen up in the smoke into into space. Was I mean, the impression maybe, that yeah. I had. I don't know why. Well, maybe. Anyway, we uh, we finally burn those four items that Sugar Plumps tells us to burn. This is after we've basically unlocked every item in the game. Um, and when you do that, suddenly, and we didn't mention this before, as you've been playing the game, the the little inferno. Uh, entertainment fireplace has a lot of lot of little pipes in it but right dead center there's a little sleeping face that looks like a giant gear with a face on it um it's got little closed eyes and looks like a pleasant smiling face with you know with a sleepy expression and at this point in the game once you burn those four items suddenly the face inside the fireplace wakes up and stares at you out of the fireplace so you know, you've stared into the fireplace for so long, suddenly the fireplace is staring back at you. And the house begins to shake, and things begin to catch fire, and all hell breaks loose. Your walls shake apart, and it seems that your entire house burns and falls down around you, including all the little UI elements, which I thought was really neat. There's all these little counters and things that keep track of how many coins and stamps and things you have. Those fall off the walls and explode and burst out with a bunch of coins and stamps and everything falls apart and it does a great job with the music kind of making this a really uh sort of involving moment did you put the sunglasses on the face at any point no i didn't i should have done that spoilers <laughs> you can put the sunglasses on the face <laughs> ah why didn't yeah. i try that did anybody else That's figure awesome. that out no <laughs> i didn't until uh, this last round so i i beat the game once and then after i was playing with it i tried it i was like ah should have done that the first time. You know what? There are just tons of weird little combinations that you can do. Even stuff that doesn't go into like specific combos. Like you can have like some of the items that, you know, change the color of the flame, like do weird stuff to the ones that blow up like fireworks. Or you can have the objects that uh, orbit, you know, there, there's like a moon that you can drop in, you know, the other objects sort of start to float and orbit around it. And, 
I, I, so it's just fun to interact. This is just back to the mechanics of the game, but yeah. it's just fun to interact with that darn fireplace. The fire physics are just cool. The thing I didn't get until this round was um, by going back to an old game, I actually bought everything in the catalog three times, and you get a letter. Well, I don't know if you noticed the gold outlines. Oh, yes, yeah. The catalog. That happens if you buy anything three times, and then you get a star if everything in the, that catalog is purchased three times. Mm, I did not notice that. Um, and if you buy everything three times, you get an extra little Easter egg. Yeah. I didn't receive that. I'll have to check it out. It is purposefully underwhelming. <laughs> it is hilariously <laughs> underwhelming, actually. So, so anyway, um, after your house falls down around you, this would be, I think, the biggest shift in the game. Um, oh, it's a total shift. Yeah, the game took a, t- a tonal shift when Sugar Plumps seemingly died and it really took a dark turn. But here it takes a sudden gameplay shift and suddenly the fireplace is gone along with your house and the game zooms back and we see our player character for the first time. He's a little boy illustrated in the same style that the, uh, that the children in the video we watched earlier were. And suddenly we're looking at a largely black and white world with snow falling all around us. You're standing in front of your now burning house and suddenly you're playing a point and click adventure game. I was totally not expecting yeah, this. Yeah, it was I mean, obviously it's a dramatic perspective change. Uh, but it's a it was a dramatic change on virtually every level. It, you're now yeah, it's it's yeah, it's black and white. There's it, the world is not what I was expecting it to be. Um, it's way more put together. You know, it's kind of expecting it to be uh, feet and feet of snow and all the, the things huddled together, all these houses, some burned down. While, while that was there, there was also people out in the street. The, you encounter the mailman, which was really, really funny, and answered the question, how do those packages get to you every day? Great service, that's how. Yeah, yeah. You see a little family outside. You, like, you, there's just a lot of, of, of interaction, and it, it, it kind of almost makes you think the world isn't as bad as they were making it out to be, and it's it's this company just kind of promoting its its product more so than it is a like a, a a total dystopian universe and of course you walk down the street you see these little sights as you go you have a chat with the mailman and eventually you come to the gates of the tomorrow corporation the company that made your little inferno entertainment fireplace and uh, after some negotiation with the front gate man he blasts some horns and opens the front gate and inside you go and you work your way past the weird receptionist. That was an odd touch. You have to kind of like talk the receptionist into a corner and let her get her to let you on the elevator. Yeah, all while hearing about the novel she's writing. And it, it all ends on a really cheesy joke, too. You, you, you really go through a long conversation with her about how you're not allowed to go up the elevator. And it all ends with you saying, hey, where's the bathroom? And she goes, upstairs. And you're like, can I use it? And she says, sure. And you get on the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, up you go, and you find yourself uh, there with uh, the lady that you've been exchanging letters with for part of the game, Miss Nancy. And Miss Nancy is uh, the CEO of the Tomorrow Corporation. And you find out that, like you, she's not just sitting around in the cold waiting for the inevitable. She's trying to get out. She's 
trying to leave the same way. I think she's the proxy for the developers in this in this um, in this sort of metaphor of the game, and she wants the same thing you want. Um, I expected her to be a sinister character, but actually she was very pleasant. If you have your coupon, she'll give you a hug. And then she takes off. She wants to get out of this place, too. Did she actually give you a hug, Laura? Yes, uh, it actually comes towards the camera, and her enormous bosom overtakes the screen. Um, (laughs) She gives you a free hug. It's it's nice, if slightly disturbing. (laughs) All right. Was it anything else different? Is that the only alternate ending that exists in the game? I think so. I haven't ended the game since I had to present it. Um, I wanted to keep it open in case I wanted to look at combos or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I would think there might be a small dialogue change, but I really doubt they would. Other than maybe she would admonish me more strongly to go outside and live. And that's essentially what she does. She encourages you to uh, to go, to explore the world, to learn about things. And she says she's getting out too, and she's jumps into a rocket ship and literally takes off. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty surprising. She just just gets in a rocket ship and there she goes. And it's kind of a long scene. You watch the entirety of this massive ship just slowly blast off out the window. It's pretty funny. And then uh, we progress on out of the Tomorrow Corporation's office and you encounter the weatherman who you've also been exchanging uh, letters with as he told you about how cold it was as he reported from his weather balloon. And he gives you a ride in his weather balloon off into the unknown. He's giving you a lift out of the snowy city and into who knows where. And that's credits roll and that's the end of the game. You're, you're out. You have, you've reached the edge and now you're flying off into the unknown. So bizarre. It is. So I think that the place that the game, I, I, first off, it's really exciting to see a game that doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what it's all about. Um, it respects your intelligence enough that it leaves a lot of open questions and it it raises more questions than it answers. And I, I think that's a really a good thing. But I'd like you guys takes on the ending, you know, particularly sort of just the thematic, you know, meaning of the ending and and what what is the game all about? What is it saying with that weird third act that changes the gameplay? Uh, I, I don't I think part of it is what Miss Nancy says. Just stop sitting in front of your fireplace, burning things. Go do something. I also think one of the really interesting decision moments in this game is before you step outside, it asks you. It tells you you can't go back. The game bothers to warn you that you can never come back to the sandbox environment where you're playing with all the toys. And it kind of teases you that there's something better that you have to trade off. Um, Very few games completely change the gameplay, even with something that's not as much fun, and don't let you ever go back to the other mechanic. And when I finished the game, I started thinking about that, you know, is it more satisfied to have it completed this game knowing I can't show off the little um, 
you know, if I wanted to restart it, I'd have to go buy everything again if I wanted to show someone how cool the game was. Um, at the same time, it meant that the game ended, and very few games end. Yeah. Um, most games, when you finish it, you can go back to a save state, or especially in casual games, you can always just pick up another game and you haven't really reset too much. You might have actually made the game easier to yeah. play again. There's no end to Farmville. <laughs> so I do guess that the game kind of is about wasting your life, wasting your time. Um, it's not, I think, just about wasting your time on video games. I, I think, like the developer said in the in the interview that Nate was mentioning, it's about valuing the time that you have and making sure that you're spending it on something real and something adventurous. And I think that's a really interesting note for a video game to end on because it it gives you that sort of push of, and now that you've spent the last three approximately hours staring into this screen, why not go do something real and, and exciting with your time? <laughs> and that that makes me a little uncomfortable even while it, while it kind of feels hopeful and exciting. There's a lot of cynicism about marketing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes. Miss Nancy, um, who is the first character to escape, also is the person who's convincing you to keep burning, keep burning, you know, keep going, keep advancing the game. And it made it a little hard for me. And uh, something I did not enjoy was that she's the one trying to give you the theme of the game to go outside and explore. She's been the source of this odd consumer driven kind of bad advice that lets you advance in the game, but doesn't actually save your friends sugar plums and doesn't sugar plumps or get you anywhere, you know, except the next catalog. So yeah. I found it really odd that they chose to have her be the voice of the theme line. The other man just lets you escape. Yeah. And I'm very curious about what reasoning went into that too. I'm not sure if that was intentional in a way that, says something about the game but i agree the, the the theme came through but it was carried by a strange messenger and to the point where it distracted me from the message i was like why is she telling us any of this yeah she i didn't trust her yeah how can you trust this character yeah it kind of felt she was like yeah yes. go live your life i'm out and she just jumps in a rocket ship and but fails. i do kind of feel like this that she sort of plays the role as the proxy for the developers of the game. I mean, she works at the Tomorrow Corporation and the developer of the game, in addition to this in-game company, is called the Tomorrow Corporation. And I feel like you know, she's giving you this message in the same way that the developers are. The developers are developers who've just made a game that has encouraged you and incentivized you to spend the last two and a half to three hours sitting in front of your television or computer uh, burning virtual items. And then at the end of the game, they're telling you, and wasn't that a waste of time? Now go out and live. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, the same, it's the same conflict there that we have in-game with Miss Nancy herself that she's the person who's been delivering you the catalogs and encouraging you to buy and burn. And then suddenly she's the person telling you, wasn't that a waste of time? Now go well, out and live. Reagan. I think that the fact that you're even questioning Miss Nancy means that you need a big hug. <laughs> Perhaps you're right. So it's, I wish I were a better, um, 
I wish I were a better writer or a better uh, expressor of ideas because I feel like there is a really you have to play this game and kind of experience it really hitting you with this theme to really understand it, I suppose. But well, it goes beyond the you know seize the day message. It in asking you to completely abandon everything you've worked for, it asks you to risk something bigger. And I think that's, you know, that's why I keep harping on that decision point to throw away the game so far. And, and you, they throw away the mechanic. Like the developer had to completely re-engineer an entire second part of the game. They didn't reuse any assets except, you know, Miss Nancy. And knowing that was a massive amount of work, you have to start asking why they thought it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's not just some kind of carpe diem you know, single line message. They really want you to finish it and think about what you gained and lost by playing it. Mm. I really don't think, I I can't think of a game that has been both this thought provoking and this funny to me in a long time. (laughs) Stanley parable. Yeah. Yeah. With possibly the exception of um, the Stanley parable, we tied it back to that and I, they have nothing in common and yet they have a lot in common and that they're both uh, funny video gamey think pieces. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, why I appreciated this game so much. And what really brought it home for me was the fact that it had this element, even if it wasn't delivered expertly or you still had questions or it was a little detaching at the end. I still, the fact that they even tried to, to, to make a fireplace simulator that makes you think like it's just such a, such a cool accomplishment and such a unique game. Very unique. I can't think of a single other game I've played that I can really compare it to. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say that, you know, come around the holidays, uh, I have, I have streamed that fireplace video from Netflix quite a bit. And, uh, (laughs) I definitely enjoy it, and this game scratched an itch that I didn't know I had. Yep, this is uh, this is the Yule Log Channel, the video game, and um, and yet they somehow managed to turn it into a game that has a point and makes you think a little bit. Yeah, uh, did you guys? I know we've talked about how fun it was burning things. How much did you guys spend? Uh, how much time did you spend like setting up a really nice burn? Oh. Most of the time. <laughs> because I know I like, so there's a lot of building blocks or things that are stackable. And I would really try to arrange them in a way that they would they would burn just right and fill the whole screen with flames or, or chain reaction each other to make a really cool kind of burn. That's the funnest part of the game. That's what's most enjoyable about the game, apart from the humor, is just piling as much as you possibly can into this fireplace. I, I, I went so far as to, uh, you know, fill up the fireplace with objects, order more objects, wait for them to arrive, fill up the fireplace with more and more objects until it was completely full, just to get just yes. a huge flame going. It really brought out the feeling of my uh, Boy Scout days eh, yeah, when we would was pile up as many sticks as we possibly could and use as much lighter fluid as they would allow and uh, cause these just enormous conflagrations that were probably extremely dangerous. That's the feeling that I got from the gameplay. And 
then it still had a lot to say, even after you'd burned your last object. Yeah, there's a couple items. Um, we kind of hit on this earlier. I wanted to touch on it again real quick. There were a couple items, too, that did have... Uh, that kind of talked about the plot a little bit. Um, like the cell phone, uh, when it would burn, it would try to dial emergency services sometimes, and it would say this line is not available at this moment. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um yeah, there were hints at the world of the game, and I kind of got the sense from a lot of the objects that this main character had once had a family and that that family was now gone. Like, you, you'd you see um, uh, the pictures and things like that. So there's a lot of hints at a sort of world outside the game or a world outside the character's little life that you see. So... We've talked about the plot, and we've talked sort of about the theme of the game. Um, So what would your closing thoughts about the game? Well, like every game we've done so far, I urge you to play it. I thought it uh, it was a simple yet deep game that I found very, very satisfying on, on multiple levels. It was just the right amount of challenging for this type of game solving the combos was fun but doable pretty quickly i uh, i'm a sucker for a a dark a, a light game with a dark undertone um i enjoyed every part of it i i i do agree that some of the ending was a little detached but regardless i i really enjoyed the game i think i would uh you know, it's probably showing that I didn't understand the point of the game, but I would play a big expansion to Little Inferno. I'd burn all <laughs> these objects again, plus a hundred more. I was talking about that with Jamie because I, uh, I think her biggest disappointment with the game was that she ran out of things to burn, and uh, I kind of agree. I, I put this game on and uh, played it a little bit while doing a couple of other things around the house. Uh, you know, while I was listening to a podcast or, um, you know, watching a TV show and actually just the, the mechanical burning of it was great. I would totally play more little Inferno if they were to do a a sequel. But in a sense, I think that kind of also is that's that cow clicker thing. You know, it's, it's meant to be a commentary on the activity that it makes you enact. Um, and so, you know, I, I would be that person clicking on cows on Facebook and paying money to this guy who made this parody game. Reagan, you do know the end of the uh, story of cow clicker. What happened at the end of it, right? No. The cow apocalypse. No. Did cow clicker end? I don't think I heard about this. It did. Uh, the developer that made cow clicker, decided that too many people were too into it. And so he had a little uh, event where he said the cowpocalypse was coming. And if you gave money, there was a timer that started counting down on cow clicker. And if you gave money, you could add time to the timer. I think if you, uh, if you added something like, like $4,000, you could, you could reset the timer uh, but for any amount lower than that, you could just add a little bit of time to it. And then when the timer eventually went all the way down, all the cows get disappeared and the game was the same. Uh, but the little picture of the cow that you clicked on was gone. All the cows were gone. The cows were all brought up into heaven. Oh no. In the, in the cowpocalypse, there was a cow rapture and, um, uh, 
there was some complaints like uh, the the developer got some complaints that said you know after this cow apocalypse after the cow rapture uh this game isn't very fun anymore and his response was the game was never fun <laughs> that's so fascinating yeah such an amazing story that's the thing that makes this game kind of break its own rule that if it i know that they're not as heavily invested in the parody or satire piece, but if they wanted us to not feel as happy about burning things, they shouldn't have made the payoff so satisfying and so oh funny. My God. <laughs> because I'm like, cow clicker, you burn something, something amazing happens. Yeah, no, it it's it's incredible. Like this game is just it's incredibly satisfying. It gets right to your lizard brain, you know, make fire, fire interesting and good. Ooh. And then it just accelerates the lizard blame because then, you know, something absolutely hilarious happens. Roses rain from the ceiling. Things start um, orbiting each other. Um, small people flee from burning buildings. Noises. Explosions. <laughs> there was a point in playing this game where I was like, I need to get a fire pit for my backyard. <laughs> well, that's my final thought. The end. Gotta go. See you guys. Good thought. And I'm with all of you. I think this game was totally worth playing and a great, fascinating commentary on games themselves and the way we spend our time as as people uh, that absolutely shouldn't be missed. And uh, fortunately, this game is easy not to miss because it's available all over the place. You can get this game on the Wii U. You can get it on uh, Macs, PCs, or Linux computers. And you can get it on tablets, both iOS and Android, and I believe also on the iPhone. Um, and I could see this game being a great experience on absolutely any of those platforms. I would recommend playing the game on the iPad uh, if you have one. I think it's probably, I actually haven't played it there, but it seems like it'd be a great experience there. Laura, you said you liked the iPad version, right? Yes, I think it's really fun to, I mean, the flame follows your finger and there's nothing more fun than that. Yeah, I have to say I played this on my computer and the iPad yeah. sounds way more fun to actually touch it and it burn instead of using my mouse. Uh, that sounds even mm -hmm. better. I want to be as close to burning these things as possible. I could totally see the Wii U being a great experience for this game because it'd be a little easier for it to be shared. You know, if you wanted to put it up on your TV and use the controls on the gamepad to, to burn things and see the effects happen on your television, I could see that being a really good experience too. Everybody gather around the fireplace. So anyway, fortunately, it's not all that expensive either. You can pick this game up for about five bucks on the iPad. It's a little more expensive for some of the other platforms. We'll have a bunch of links in the show notes for you to check out the game. Also, it has been parts of various bundles, so you may already have it in your library if you picked up, I forget what Humble Bundle, but one of the Humble Bundles. I got it. I got it during um, Humble Bundle did a end of like kind of their version of the Steam sale uh, near about a month ago, and that's where I picked it up for $3, I believe, just on its own. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me uh, for this episode of The Short Game. This was really interesting. Happy birthday oh, to, to you, guys. Happy birthday to me and Reagan. Happy birthday, Shane. Hey, which one of you is older? I've asked this before. I am, actually. <sighs> Shane is actually older by a few seconds. It's a funny story. Uh, uh, it's, I'm older by however long it takes to C-section somebody. <laughs> Well, happy birthday, Shane, and your little brother, Reagan. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. 
So we'll uh, we'll hopefully see you again next week. We were about to actually before we wrap up, uh, listeners, we thought we might want to make you aware uh, that we are planning on shifting to a bi-weekly format. That would mean that we will be discussing one game every two weeks rather than one. But rather than leave you without anything in your feed, we're working on new concepts for mini episodes, things that we can record and get out quickly on a timely basis that may not be necessarily a discussion of a whole game. Not the hour and a half discussion of a two-hour game that you're using. <laughs> no, instead, we'll be trying for some shorter discussions that we'll be able to uh, to get out there and uh, talk about other ways of fitting games into your life rather than just discussing uh, the finer points and details of a single short game per week. So if you have any things that you think we should focus on for these mini episodes they will be off number and off week episodes that'll be coming out in your feed so you can uh, you'll catch them in the same place you're catching our existing episodes um where can people find you laura uh twitter laura j nash and of course you can follow me on twitter uh, i'm reagan k uh, that'll be r-a-y-g-a-n-k and you can follow our show at underscore short game Shane, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at 8BitShane. And Nate? You can find me at NateSTL. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Short Game.